There are, um, I thought I was going to have to dance that time, but you didn't need to see that. And I, was, I was just thinking there's, uh, it's always good to be together, but there's, there's weeks like this where it's like it's especially good to be together. And so thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for joining us online as well. You know, it's, uh, it's been on my mind all week besides our local stuff. Like this is, this is 9-11, 21 years ago, uh, these planes went into those towers, and um, most of us who were old enough to remember those events remember exactly where we were when it happened and how we felt and what it did to us as a nation. It, it literally, uh, you know, changes us. It made us think of things differently. Uh, it, it transformed us in a lot of different ways. And in fact, one of the things that uh, happens in crisis is that it galvanizes people. You know, good and bad can come out of crisis, but um, this week in particular, Watching our community go through crisis, I saw so many good things happening in the midst of what we were watching. And the, the blessing in this is that while, you know, that fire wound up over 28,000 acres, um, I, the last count I saw was like 17 structures were lost. Uh, not all of those were homes, maybe seven or eight homes. I can't remember what the last count was. Um, but it could have been so much worse. And so a huge thank you to those who responded, uh, our firefighters, police, paramedics, all those who did what they did. And some of you are in the room, and I just want to say thank you. Just please, please know how much our community appreciates you and what you do uh, in those kinds of moments. Uh, one of my friends, I actually text him about two days into it and just said, praying for you. And he goes, I'm not even there. I'm on the big, uh, the big Bear fire. And he was already there and he couldn't come back to this one. This is where he lives. This is where he's stationed out of. Uh, but it's just one of those things. We, we weren't the only thing going on, but it was definitely personal for those of us in town. And so what we did this week was we did something a little different. We're gonna start a new series today, but Thursday, rather than doing the same thing like we usually do, Thursday's usually the same message as Sunday. We did a completely different thing, and we just said we want to address what we're feeling and sensing, and we want to know what God has to say about stuff like this, and how do we respond. So Thursday night, we did a different service, a different message, uh, specifically geared to our community and what we're going through, and already that's been viewed over 1,800 times just since Thursday night. So thank you all for watching or for passing it on, sharing that with others. Some of you were there with us then, and you're back with us today, so thank you also uh, but before we do anything else today, I just want to pray. Uh, some of you know this. If you, if you watch Thursday night's thing, you know that uh, one of the homes that was lost was a home from somebody from our family here at Community. It was Rick and Debbie Ruth. Uh, they lost their home. Uh, they lost everything. They were actually out of town at the time, didn't have a chance to go get anything. So everything in that home is gone. Uh, we also know that um, there was loss of life. There was a family trying to get out, the Compton family. Uh, the, the flames engulfed their car. Their neighbor grabbed the wife, Tina, pulled her out, and even though she was badly burned, she got out, but her, but her husband and their daughter perished in that fire in their car back on Avery Canyon. And so we want to be praying about all those kinds of things before we get into what we're talking about today. So let's just do that together now. Father, we, uh, we thank you for watching over uh, everything that was going on. And we ask, God, your, your help and your provision for those who lost homes. We thank you. Uh, although Rick and Debbie lost everything, you've already been providing. Um, and they've already seen you at work. So we thank you for that. 
God, I pray that you would reveal to us ways we can help maybe some of these other families in, in their loss. And we want to pray for Tina Compton, too. Um, can't imagine healing from her own uh, physical wounds, but also then grieving and the wounds that are caused by losing a husband and a child. So, so be with her. Um, God, again, thank you for all these first responders who, who came to the rescue, who uh, went above and beyond, who saved homes and saved lives, and we just thank you for them. God, thank you, thank you. And may, uh, may you be honored, God, not just on our best of days, but even when we're in the midst of a crisis, may we honor you with the way that we walk through that. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, this last week, uh, it was interesting. This was from Monday. My wife and I drove down to Lake Street and watched this whole thing began. Um, in fact, as, as it was happening, uh, she called Debbie, and she said, hey, there's a fire up here. It looks like it's in Simpson Park. Can you guys see it from your house? And Debbie, on the other end of the phone, said, no, we're in Utah. You know, so they had no idea this was going to happen and everything was going to be lost just that very same night. But while this was going on, I did have a, a verse that came to mind. And, and most of you, your responses, and it's because you're weird. But here is the verse that came to mind. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself set on fire by hell. Now, in this series, we're going to be talking about what's, what's wrecked in our life and the things that wreck us. And we're not going to specifically be talking about the tongue, but that verse, you know, came to mind. Now, Jesus said, um, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the stuff that comes off of our tongue comes because it's been going on in here. And what we are going to be talking about in this series, although I've seen the tongue wreck many a relationship, we're going to look at some of the other things going on here that eventually sometimes does make it out of our mouth. But here's what we're going to be looking at for the next few weeks. Anger, lust, complaining, pride, worry, guilt, and debt. In fact, we're going to take two weeks on debt. Today, we're going to talk about why we get in trouble with debt. And next week, we're going to talk about how we get out of that and what does God have to say about that. So that's kind of where we're heading uh, with all this. Um, but know this, as, as we kind of wade into this, you may feel like, oh, I don't know if I want to really talk about this in church because I'm uncomfortable talking about debt because I'm in debt and it hurts and I don't want anybody looking at me. Well, we're not looking at you. We're just going to say this is an issue for Americans in general. And the Bible has a lot to say about, you know, warnings about it and then also some help to get out of it. So we're going to be looking at both sides of that next couple of week, uh, next couple of weeks. Uh, there, there's an older book called Affluenza. It was written back around 2000. So for those of you who are good at math, it's over 20 years old. Now, the reason I mention that is this. In the book Affluenza, they're talking about the, the commercial messaging that comes into our life. And they say the average American, way back 20-some years ago, the average messages you received every day was about 3,000. So through television, movies, radio, newspaper, magazines, that through those kinds of media, we would receive 3,000 messages a day of commercials saying, you need this, you got to buy this, whatever it is. And then I started thinking, well, that's 20 years old. That was way before the phone became everything for us, and now we just sit there and scroll. And so I wonder what it is today. So I looked it up, and here's the average for today. They, they, they don't even know for sure. They just average. They say it this way. The average American now looks at is, an, is, is exposed to between four and 10,000 messages a day. 
And basically, the difference is just how long you spend on your phone. Four to 10,000. And if you're curious, that's about one and a half million to over three and a half million a year. Messages telling you, you need to buy this, you need to buy this, you need to buy this. It is consistent. It's a multi-billion dollar industry, advertising is. And they come after us. And so, while I'm reading in this book again, they said this, I thought this is interesting, even though this is 20 years old, it said $300,000, that's what it takes to produce a 30-second commercial spot for a nationwide ad. It costs $300,000. An entire episode costs about $300,000 to produce. A 30-second ad and an entire episode. What's going on here? Again, this is a multi-billion dollar industry. If you were to have that 30-second spot showed on the Super Bowl this last year, it would have cost you $6.5 million. So you have the, the production cost, but then you have the advertising cost, $6.5 million for a 30-second spot. And most of you, you like the Super Bowl not because of the game. You could care less, but the commercials are so good. And they cost a lot of money, Right? You just say, we, we've got to understand, this is what's going on. They are trying to sell us stuff. Now, selling stuff's not wrong. Goods and services, we, we need those to survive. But this is what Dave Ramsey, um, I'll get to this in a second. Let me go back. Uh, Dave Ramsey said this, but debt, debt is a product, and they are really good at selling it. So let me just talk about selling for just a second. Um, have you ever smelled anything when you're out shopping? Now, I don't mean like your husband because you just had a really good Mexican meal. I don't mean like that. I mean like you're, you're shopping for a bathing suit and you smell suntan lotion. Or you're, you're, you're in the baby section and you smell baby powder, right? Like department stores know that certain smells, you know, are more attractive than others and they're trying to drown out your husband after a Mexican meal and they're trying to give it like, this is what we want you to smell. And like, I'm a total sucker when you walk past the store and you can smell like fresh, fresh baked, you know, chocolate chip cookies. I mean, even if it's a pet store, like I don't even have pets, but I'm going to probably wander in there and buy some dog food. I don't know why, but you know, that they're really good at getting our attention, aren't they? Like, they're, they're selling stuff. Again, like selling goods and services, that's not all bad. What, what, where we get in trouble is in debt, because debt is sold to us like a product also. And in many of the things we buy, it's attached to debt so that it can be even easier for us. One of the things about debt that I figured out, you, you probably don't get these, but I get these special emails every week that says, I'm pre-approved. For a loan for my dream car, I'm pre-approved for a, an additional loan so I can do some work. Now, I know it's because I am all that and a bag of chips. You probably, I'm just trying to tell you, this is what happens. So you probably don't understand. I get this kind of stuff all the time. In fact, I get not just emails, but I get snail mails with notes that are handwritten by a computer that says, John, you are so special. See, what, what are they doing? They're just saying, debt is so we don't want to explain that we just want you to feel like you need it and then this is how they sell it it's an opportunity there's a, there's an ad out right now and i don't want to name any names it's by american express but um there's this young man and because he has an american express card now when his sisters come and visit he can take them out to dinner and when, when the game comes on, he doesn't have to watch it at home. He can take his friends to the game at the stadium because he has American Express. 
And then he's sitting in his cubicle at work and he realizes he has six vacation days. And so he goes on an amazing adventure. Why is all that possible? Why are all those opportunities possible? Because of American Express. So whether it's American Express or Visa, MasterCard, Discovery, I don't care who it is. They're all selling the same product. It's called debt. And they want you hooked. And they want you to feel special. So they tell you, you're pre-approved. You're amazing. You're important. In fact, this is a gold card. This is a platinum card that says you're even more in debt. They sell it like it's something super, super special. But here is the truth. This is what the Bible says. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is, what's that word? Slave to the lender. Nobody wants to be a slave. Nobody wants to be a servant. But the borrower is a slave to the lender. This is what the Bible says. And God knows what he's talking about. Again, it's, it's not wrong to like own stuff. It, it, it is wrong for our stuff to own us. And that's in something we're going to be looking at as we walk through this. But here's the thing about debt. We become a slave. And maybe you've heard this. I owe, I owe. So off to work I go. Right? So I, I'm a slave. I, I, in fact, it would be nice just to take some time off, but I can't because I have two car payments. I have that payment that of that refrigerator I bought. I have another payment. It was interest-free for, 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 for a whole year, but now we're 30 years into it. I'm still paying on that couch. You know, so we go through it like, I, I can't just take a break from work because week to week to week, I have to serve all these lenders that I've gotten in debt to. Again, they're, they're really good at it. They, they don't sell it like it's a trap. They sell it like it's prestige. They sell it like it's an opportunity. But it is a trap. And we've got to be careful. Dave Ramsey says this. He says, the main goal of financing is to keep you from asking, what's the question? How much? See, we don't, we don't say, like, hey, by the way, how much is that car? Because we don't even want to know that it was $42,000. We just want to know what? How much per month? How much per month? So I got my car in payments per month. And then I had to get another car in payments per month because my spouse wanted a new one too. So now we both have nice cars. And so we're driving. And then again, we've got this other payment and we've got that credit card and then we've got that other thing. But we've got to be asking how much? How much? That, that's the question. If you were here Thursday night, I said when you go through a crisis, the, the wrong question is why, because even if we get an answer, we still have the crisis, we still have to deal with it. The, the right question is what? Like, what can I do? God, what do you want me to do in the midst of this? You know, like, how can I help other people? So one good question when it comes to debt is really, like, how much? That, that, may, be, that may keep me to get further into debt. But the other question here actually is why. We have to ask it. We have to ask it of ourselves. Like, why why do I feel like I need this stuff so much? I mean, I already have 156 shirts. Why do I need this one? Because it's on sale. Why do I need that car? My car works just fine. Why do I need that car? Do I really, this is this word, like internal reflection time, and it's not, it may not be fun to do, but you got to say, why do I think I need that shirt? Why do I think I need that car? Do I really think people are going to love me more or appreciate me or look up to me? Is somehow my self-esteem so tied to my stuff? And if that's the case, we're, we're in dangerous territory. we we got to watch out. 
Here's something else in that book, Affluenza. It said that 91% of Americans believe we buy and consume far more than we need. I don't know what those other 9% people were doing during this survey. But they weren't paying attention to the question. We all consume maybe far more than we really need. Again, it's like I have 36 pairs of shoes. But that one, that's a different color. Well, I, I have three others the same color, but they're different styles. Right? Now, I'm not, I'm not talking to you ladies. I'm talking to me. Like, I like shoes. And so, like, I, I, I sometimes have this issue, and I have to ask myself, why do I think I have to have those shoes when these other shoes are just fine? Like, I have to ask myself that question, why? And I think I have a theory, but here, here I'll just lay it out for you. Have you ever heard of the God-shaped hole? Like, God made us, created us to have a relationship with him. So he created us with this God-shaped hole in our heart that only he can fill. And the, the problem is we keep trying to fill it with everything else, with a new car or a better house or nicer clothes or whatever that stuff is, whatever those toys are. And we think that's the stuff that's going to fulfill us. That's the stuff that's going to satisfy us. And God says, no, you're only going to be ultimately fulfilled when you have a relationship with me. But we keep trying this other stuff we keep consuming. And, and it doesn't help in America that advertisers are so good at what they do and they continually tell us that we have to have their toothpaste or whatever it is, right? Like they're so good at it. And they're, they're so convincing. And we, we buy into this, but there's this shape, there's this hole here that only God can fill. And then the problem is we just buy into the lie that the, that new toy or that refurbished this or that new and improved that, whatever that is, is going to make us whole, make us feel you know, like we've arrived or somebody or fulfilled or whatever that might look like. And, and here's the thing. We, we call these things idols. Idols. Now, when we think about idols, we don't think of like these things. We, we think of like a gold little statue, you know, a little thing, something that somebody carved out of wood or whatever. Like that, that's an idol. But it's, it's way more than that. Timothy Keller says this, the heart is an idol factory. And what he means is like, here's this, here's this God-shaped hole in our heart, and we keep trying to force everything else in there, and we create, hopefully, something that's going to fit that hole. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't have to be something we make, you know, with our hands, like a little gold idol or a little wooden idol. These idols are anything that takes the place of God. So God says this in Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And he goes on to talk about graven images. So again, we're like, okay, good, that's not me. No, my idol is idling in the garage. You know what I'm talking about? Like my idol might be the place where I, I have all my other idols. It's called a house. Like my, my furniture, my 900-inch TV, like those are the things that I think are going to make me special, and those are all idols if we're not careful. Again, it's okay to own stuff. We just can't let our stuff own us. There's a difference there. Listen to this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Now listen to the definition, which is idolatry. It's idolatry. Again, Timothy Keller, when defining idolatry, he says it this way. Anything more important to you than God... Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. 
again, we're trying, we're trying these things to take the place of God. And I think maybe in Romans 1, it says it best. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served. Okay, that, that's a good definition as well for things that are idols. Worshiped and served, created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. So the creator is the one we're supposed to worship. But we worship and serve all this other stuff that we think is going to make us happy, that we think is going to make us somehow fulfilled. And there's a bunch of stuff on that list. Have you ever seen somebody's vision board? You know what a vision board is? Someday I'm going to have that car, that boat, that motorcycle, that house. I'm going to take this vacation. And so here's what happens when you get into like a multi-level marketing, you get into some kind of commission sales, they want to motivate you and they say, create a vision board and put all this stuff on there that you want. So this is going to motivate you so you're going to see it. It's going to be by your desk. It's going to be by your refrigerator, whatever. You're going to see it every day because you're going to keep working hard because someday you're going to have that thing. You know what I've never seen on someone's vision board? This verse. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. Like, truly, like, what's most important? Like, what do you want more in life? A new car. <laughs> a motorhome. Well, what do you really want? I want to know Christ. Well, why, why don't we put that on our vision board? I'm not saying, again, they, not that these things are bad. But sometimes they can, they can do bad in our life if we don't keep them in, in perspective. Speaking of vision boards, I got to just tell you, this funny story just came up. Uh, it was reminded, uh, I was reminded of this week because the U.S. Open is on, if you're a tennis fan. And they mentioned Andre Agassi this week, and I remembered I read his autobiography book, really interesting book. And there's this one thing that talks about when he and Brooke Shields were married. And she was going through a time where she was fighting her weight, and she wanted to put something on the refrigerator door that would inspire her and encourage her not to just go and snack anytime. So she cut out the picture of someone's legs and put them on. And, and actually, it happened to be Steffi Graf. She was the n number one tennis player in the world. Like, she has these great legs. She puts it on the refrigerator. So every time Brooke Shields would come to the refrigerator, she would go, I don't, I want my legs to look like that, so I'm not going to have that snack. Like, that was the, that was the motivation, right? The true story not that long after that, Brooke and, and Andre broke up. They got divorced. Guess who Andre married? Steffi Graf's legs. I mean, Steffi Graf. That's who he married, right? So be careful what you put on your vision board. I'm just saying, like, right? So here's the deal. We want to know Christ. Like that, that should be the primary thing that really, like, we wake up in the middle of the night, like, not wake up in the night, how can I rearrange this stuff so I can buy this? Like, I want to know Jesus more and more and more. I want him to fill that hole in my life. I want to find my, my sense of, of joy and fulfillment and purpose in him. And I can enjoy some stuff along the way, but that stuff is not going to be my God. We, we've got to be able to come back to that and say that. So in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is telling a young pastor named Timothy, this is what I want you to tell your church. And so he's, he's passing this stuff on. He says, command those who are rich. Okay, so if you've been at community for a while, we've talked about this, but don't get hung up on that. Basically, if you have a refrigerator, you're rich. So shut up. Okay, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Right, so we get our, our, our retirement account. We get our savings account. We, we start doing this stuff like... 
Ooh, that, that's where our hope is. Don't put your hope in the stuff which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us for everything for our enjoyment. Again, we, we can enjoy stuff. It's just got to have the right place in our life. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He's just saying there, there's a life that a lot of people live, but it's not real life. It's filled with stress and anxiety and problems. And they may look like, because you only see the best on Instagram, they may look like, man, they got it going on. But they are stressed out and they are twisted and they're upset and they're upside down in debt. He says, no, there's a better way to do life. We don't put our hope in stuff. We put our hope in God. I mean, has the fire taught us anything? Our stuff can be gone in an instant. In an instant. Did the crash of 2008 teach us anything? Those retirement accounts aren't safe. Like, we, we, we are reminded over and over and over, this stuff is not certain. It's not for sure. But God is. And so we just have to keep this perspective and make sure that we, we stay on track with him. So here's what I want to do. Next week, we're going to talk about how we get out. But let me just give you a few handles, a few things to think about uh, kind of now that we've explained why we get into this, like what we can do about it. Here's the first one. Like, just like we read, put our hope in God. In, in Matthew chapter six, Jesus gives a master class on worry. He says, we typically worry about what we're gonna eat, what we're gonna wear, where we're gonna live. He goes, that's pretty normal. We all worry about that kind of stuff. Like, I'm gonna make sure I have enough of this, enough of this, enough of this. This last week, we worried about a fire. And is it gonna come near our home? Is the smoke going to affect, you know, our allergies or, or our asthma? What, what, you know, we worried about that kind of stuff. So there was additional worries. But Jesus is saying, this is like normal life. Like there's stuff to worry about. It's out there. But there's a better way. And so he concludes his thing in Matthew 6, with this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. He's like, you know, your basic needs, God's going to watch out for you. He's a loving father. He's going to take care of you. But you got to put him first. Here's what a lot of people do. They say they love God, they come to church, but they keep guard, God kind of at an arm's length, still expecting something else to fulfill them. Now he says, seek me first. I love this, Kyle Adelman, he says this, God declines to sit atop an organizational flowchart. No, he is the organization. I love that line. He is the only God who can help us, direct us, satisfy us, save us. That's who God is. So he's saying, we're going to put our hope in him. He's the one that never changes. Jesus said, I'm saying yesterday, today, and forever. We can count on him. You know, I think sometimes we look at, we look at Christianity through the lens of America. And, you know, we're just one country. And I've had people in the last two years just like freak out, like, oh, these are the end times. What about this? What about this? What? Well, what about the people who've been fighting for their lives because of their faith for decades in other countries in the world right now? Don't you think they think we've been in the end times for a while? And we have one thing change in our country, and oh, no, i got to go back to my Bible. Where is it? I, I know I had it somewhere. Oh, it's out in the shed. I'll go get it. You know, then, oh, now I'm an expert on end times. 
is because we're freaking out. Let's just keep God first so we don't have to go look for him when things get rough. Here's another thing. We need to ask for help. Some of you are actually in a pretty good position. Maybe you've been through Financial Peace University before. Maybe you've just always been pretty good with your finances. You're not in any kind of major debt. You're, you're doing good and awesome. I'm happy for you because I know you live without a lot of stress that other people have to live with. But if you're in the situation where you're in trouble or you see the potential of trouble, ask for help. Say something to somebody. In James chapter 5, it says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So you may think, well, getting into debt may not be a sin, but it's trouble, and it's creating some issues in my marriage, in my family, and I think I need help. Then tell someone. By, by the way, it's no accident that I'm talking about debt this week as Financial Peace University starts in our groups, I want you to get this, and it's not too late to sign up. Again, ask for help. If this is all like over your head, or if you're going through a lot right now, and man, I know I'm in trouble, but I don't know what to do, ask for help. And help is offered through Financial Peace University. And so we've got a group that meets at nine o'clock on Sundays, but we also have groups that meet on Tuesday night and Wednesday night right here on the property. So after the service, go out to the new here cart or just get on your app and find it and sign up for it and go and be a part of that and get the help that we're offering. It's like, and here's the coolest thing. We have a family in our church. We've told you this now for weeks. We have a family in our church who paid so that everybody in our church can go through it free. There is no excuse. There's no cost. Typically costs you about $100 a family. And right now, everybody can do this for free. So get the help. Doesn't mean you're confessing a sin in this case. Just means, hey, I need help. And so go get the help. The help is there. The help is available. Another thing is we need to set boundaries. I have uh, some healthy boundaries I established early on in my marriage with Michelle. Some of you have not been here uh, for 30 plus years. Um, but I came as the youth pastor, but within about three years, our senior pastor, he left his wife and ran off with somebody else in the church. That's part of our church history back 32 years ago. And immediately I began to talk to Michelle, like how do we make sure this kind of stuff never happens? And so I have several just boundaries I just feel like are healthy. Uh, one of those is I don't ever go have a meal, like I don't ever go have lunch with somebody of the opposite sex without somebody else being there. Uh, so one, one time, a couple years back, I was going to Chili's to meet a couple who were new in our church. They wanted to meet. I said, sure, let's meet. So we're gonna, we agreed to meet at Chili's. I, I get there. I get out of my car. I see the wife get out of her car. We start walking towards the door, and I expect her to say, my husband's on the way. He'll be here any second. And we actually got sat into a booth. I'm still waiting. And she goes, oh, by the way, my husband can't make it. I just stood right up. I said, I'm sorry. And this is a little awkward, but this is a boundary for me. I, I promised my wife I'd never have a meal with another woman unless she's like my mom or, you know, but it's like, I'm not, I, I just can't do that. I hopefully you understand, and I left. Here, here's what that means. That means I love my wife. And listen to this. Steve Poe wrote this book I told you about last week. He says, establishing boundaries is not a negative thing. It's actually a declaration of my love and commitment to God. The, the boundaries I established for my marriage, it's a declaration of my love and commitment to my wife. The boundaries that I establish in my life, 
Those are declarations of love and commitment to God. How many of you like the book of Proverbs? I love Proverbs. It's like Twitter. It's like, it's like the Bible for people with ADHD because it's like one-liners. Like, that's all you have to get. Like, that was good. I'm out. You know, it's like I can't focus on two verses. Just one is all I need, right? And, and here's the, the beauty of Proverbs. It is like that a lot of the times. But some people don't know this. The first three or four chapters of Proverbs is really all about the same thing for the most part. And here it is. The father's talking to his son. He says, hey, son. Watch out for those hoochie mamas. You go read, I know some of you are going, I'm going to read Proverbs now. This sounds really interesting. Yeah, you go read it. You get into chapter three and he's saying, hey, there's a hoochie mama on this street. I don't even want you walking down her street. Go another way. Like, you set boundaries. You don't need to put yourself in a position of temptation. So let's say you struggle with alcohol. You're alcoholic. And you know just one drink can just send you spiraling well, then you probably shouldn't go hang out with your friends at the bar, right? Like, we know that. That's a boundary. We need to have some boundaries in our financial life as well. We need to set some boundaries and make sure that we don't cross those boundaries. Everybody's got to figure that out. But maybe we can have some help if we just kind of talk about those kind of things together. And then here's the fourth thing is just do the difficult thing. It's way easier to get into debt. It's way easier to get into trouble. Have you already noticed that in life? <laughs> like the hard things, the, 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 the wrong things are usually way easier. The, the, the right things are more difficult, but, but do that. Now, I know you can't read all these, but I want to just walk through them. I'll read them for you if you can't see them. There's a bunch here. And these are just like ways to kind of like figure this out for yourself. All of these may not apply to you, but maybe one does. So just listen. What do you feel like you need to make you happy? Like, is it going to be that? I mean, your, your car is just fine, but, but I really need that car, that new car, the new model, right? I remember years ago, um, I, I had a vehicle totaled, and I bought a, a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee. And a friend of mine that was uh, working for a dealer set me up, got me a great deal on a Grand Cherokee. At the time, it was a few years old, but it was in perfect shape, and you couldn't even tell the difference between that one and the brand new one. It was, it was beautiful. Within months, a new model came out that was completely different. And all of a sudden, I wasn't as happy with my perfect car. You know, you know that feeling, right? The, the new model comes out, now I think I need that. What do you think, you know, and feel like, well, what do you think is going to have to happen? What do you need to make you happy? Here's another one. Where do you consistently spend the most money? You're like, my house payment, <laughs> food, basics. Yeah, but maybe, maybe this is a question that you, you figure out, oh, wait a minute, this might be a problem area for me. What's the first thing you think about in the morning? I'll just tell you, man, if the first thing you do is you start scrolling through Instagram, you're already bombarded by a couple hundred commercial messages within the first few seconds of waking up. Be careful there, too. What would you have a hard time letting go of for a month? Starbucks. Okay, I don't know what it would be for you. It could be something much more serious. What do you like to talk about the most? What do you gravitate to when you go through struggles in life. This might be the most important one for some of you. When stress rises, when you're in the midst of the crisis, I mean, for some of you, it's food. We call it comfort food. My, my, my granddaughter calls it chick-a-lay. 
My wife loves Chick-fil-A, but our granddaughter calls it Chick-a-L-A. And she wants to go to Chick-a-L-A with Lolly. When you're having a bad day, is that what you do? Or is it alcohol? Or is it sexual immorality? Like, what, what, what do you do when the pressure's so much you just don't feel like you can take it? Whatever the answer is, that might show you where some of the problems are. What do you spend too much time on each day? Not even what do you spend too much money on, just what do you spend too much time on? That might be a, a path to help you see where some of your problem areas and where you maybe need to establish some boundaries. So do the hard thing. Ask the hard questions. That's a start. But it's more than that. It's more than that. This is Rick and Debbie Ruth's house on Monday evening. Stephen King, who's a part of our church too, uh, took this picture, uh, sent it to me, and then said, would you tell them? And we all knew they were out of town by that time. And then uh, with his pass, he got back in because at their request, they wanted to see what the damage really was. And so he went back and took this one later. The house is gone. The front door is still there. Fireplace, and that's about it. This one, to me, was one of the sadder pictures, just the stairway that goes nowhere. And, and in talking to them, I've just been so encouraged. Yeah, yeah, this hurts. You just think about it. They, they were in another state. They didn't get to take anything out. No pictures, no files, no, no important papers, like nothing. Everything was gone. But Debbie said to me on the phone, she goes, well, at least we won't have to get that hearse with a U-Haul. And we, we can't take it with us anyway. And yeah, it hurts, but there's perspective there in that statement. And then she said, you know what? This is their wood fire pizza oven and a grill. Nothing happened there. She goes, at least we can still have pizza parties. That's attitude. That's perspective. Yeah, this, they, they put a lot of work into that house. And it's all gone. Except, yeah, we can still have pizza parties. That's cool. But that's perspective. See, again, let me say again, in case you're not hearing this, it's okay to have stuff it's okay to own stuff. It's just not okay for your stuff to own you. And when it all goes away, what do you have? God. They still have him. They still have their hope. Like one of my friends said to me when she lost her husband uh, over a year ago, she said, it's almost two years now, she said, my hope my hope is broken, but my faith is not. And meaning, like, my heart, my heart got wrecked in all of this. But I still know who God is, and he's still on the throne. And you can lose stuff, but you can't lose Jesus. He's not going anywhere. Now, here, here's perspective. This isn't just a statement about debt. This is a perspective about money, and especially in our culture. You've got to hear this. Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says this. Here's the clincher. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, ever since I was a little kid, I thought Jesus made a mistake and said this wrong. He should have said, you cannot serve both God and the devil. That makes sense, right? Like good versus evil. But he knows us. He's just saying, you can only have one God. Make sure we're serving him. 
And so what I want to do today as we wrap this up, I want us to spend a little time thinking about what it means to keep God as first place in our life. What does it really look like to, to put our hope in him? Because that's what we want to see. And throughout this series, while we talked about the things that potentially could wreck us, you know, the answer every time is going to be hanging on to him. And then he's going to give us practical ways to do that in every scenario. But for this one in particular, especially when it comes to debt and, and the trap that we so easily can get into, I, I, I do want us to think about, am, am I susceptible to that because maybe the way I was brought up? Maybe, maybe we didn't have anything in this pendulum swing. Now I feel important, like I feel like I have, even though I'm completely in debt, at least I have stuff to show for it. That, that's, is that part of the scenario? Like we, we've got to ask those hard questions about ourselves and why we get there. But also I want to do this. I think there may be some of you. I don't know if somebody who's watching right now, somebody who's in the room, but it may be that if you were honest with yourself, you'd say, yeah, I, I believe in God. And even though I come to church somewhat regularly, I'm still relying on this other stuff to make me feel special. I'm still relying on this other stuff to, to fulfill me. I'm still holding Jesus at somewhat of an arm's length. Like, yeah, I know what he did for me, and I think that's amazing, but I'm still trying everything else. What I really want to see happen for some of you is for you to say, I'm, I'm done with that. It's time to just say, okay, God, you can be completely in charge and have my life. I'm all yours. You know, I think I've watched over the years. I've watched people who've struggled with that choice. Like, like yeah, they know about God, they know about Jesus, they know about his love, they know about his grace. Like, they, they could actually explain it to somebody else, but there's something that's kept them from just completely opening up their heart and saying, okay, God, I want you to be here. I want you to be in charge. And what I watch is the struggle, the struggle, the struggle, and then finally there's a day, and, and it may be because of a situation, it may be because of a crisis, it may be because of something they're going through, and they finally said, okay, God, I'm done doing it on my own, I really do want you in my life. And then I watch in an instant, <laughs> there's joy, there's peace. Like in a, in a moment, it's just like, there's just been this struggle for so long, but in the moment they say, yes, Jesus, I'm all yours, it's like everything begins to change. And I want that for you. And I know that some of you are struggling with that. So let's just take some time to pray together, all right? Father, um, today, in this moment, it's, it's not really about money. It's not really about stuff. It's, it's really about you and your place in our life. God, I, I know that this stuff is is difficult in our culture, just the way we're bombarded with advertisements and everything else. Um, but we, we're just going to admit now, like nothing else can satisfy, nothing else can fulfill us, nothing else can give us meaning and purpose in life like you can. So God, come into our heart. Transform us from the inside out. Let us find our joy and our peace and our fulfillment in you and not this other stuff. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.